0: And thank you for joining us. I'm Joanne Guo. And I'm Sarah Howard. We are the co hosts of the Track 2 podcast. The Track 2 podcast explores the stories and people who create conditions for a thriving, vibrant society.
1: We normally get a few requests for emergency assistance a week coming into our emergencies inbox, basically, of people reaching out with some sort of crisis that requires immediate action. In the aftermath of the U.S. withdrawal in August 2021, we saw upwards of 20,000 requests for assistance come in. Um, And the scale of that, going through each of those, it wasn't just journalists, it was lawyers and soldiers and hairdressers and a YouTube star and a pop singer and a race car driver. I mean, you have a huge number of people who are desperate to get out That was a clip from our conversation with Carrie Patterson from the Committee to Protect
2: Journalists, from our earlier conversation with her on the season. This week on the podcast, we have a bonus episode. We want to explore some terms, ideas and concepts on World Refugee Day.
0: It's a day to remember that with help from welcoming communities and neighbors, people can rebuild their lives and their networks and even thrive.
2: And since here on the podcast, we focus on what are the people and conditions for a thriving society, we thought it would be important to give some space to this conversation and do so by helping to find some of the terms that
0: surround the conversation right now. One way of describing who is a refugee, it's someone who's been forced to flee their home because of war, violence, or persecution. Refugees can come from anywhere. They could be anyone. They're mothers, sisters, parents, friends, children. They're just like you and me. Around two-thirds of the world's refugees come from Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Myanmar, and of course now, Ukraine.
2: So the question then is, where do refugees go? When you think of refugees, you might think about camps. Camps are built by agencies like the UN Refugee Agency to provide shelter and services and support during a crisis. So they're meant to be short-term solutions. But some refugees end up living in these camps for years and even decades until it's safe to return home.
0: In most situations, though, refugees don't live in camps. They live in urban settings. They have to find a place to live and make ends meet in a brand new country far away from everything they know and everyone they love back home.
2: It's actually a very small number of refugees who are relocated, and this relocation is called resettlement. Less than half a percent of the world's refugees are actually resettled. The UN Refugee Agency wants that number to increase, but it's not up to them. Unfortunately, countries
0: have to offer these opportunities for resettlement,
2: and there has been less of those in recent years.
0: As we've said before, what refugees want most is often to go home, but conflict or danger often won't allow it. So most have to build a new life from scratch. Everyone's entitled to dignity. That means keeping families together, protection from traffickers, from exploitation, from being detained. No one should be discriminated against at borders based on the color of their skin, their religion, if they're a man, a woman, non-binary, trans, or any other gender, and no matter what country they're coming from.
2: Yeah. It's also important that borders remain open to all people who are forced to flee. and. Restricting and closing borders can make
0: things even more dangerous for people. Absolutely. People should not be forced to return to a country where their life and freedom are at risk. No one should be sent back before evaluating the dangers that they face back home.
2: Ultimately, we all have the right to seek safety. Whoever you are, wherever you are, and whenever you need it. This is one of the core concepts that made us want to stop and pause on World Refugee Day and talk about this conversation about who is a refugee. things that we find important and spend time on here on the podcast is definitions. And World Refugee Day offers an opportunity to maybe shed some light on definitions or terms that maybe aren't as clear as they could be. I'm sure you've heard the term refugee before, and you might kind of understand what it means, but there are words like migrant and asylum seeker and other terms that make this all a little bit confusing for what is the difference between them.
0: So let's break it down.
2: The term refugee actually has a very specific legal meaning. It's a person who's forced to flee their home because of war, violence, or persecution, and has to cross an international border to find safety in another country. People fleeing their homes in Ukraine, for example, are refugees once they arrive in Poland or some other country.
0: It's important to remember that refugees would rather not be refugees, and usually the thing they want most is to return home. What about the other terms, and what do they mean?
2: So migrant isn't actually a legal term, but it's someone who chooses to go to a new country, maybe to find a better job, or be united with their family, but they aren't forced to leave because of war, violence, or persecution.
0: Right, right. An asylum seeker, on the other hand, is someone who's looking for protection or asylum as a refugee. So if someone arrives in a new country, until a legal decision is made on whether they'll be recognized as a refugee and can stay, they're still entitled to protection as an asylum seeker.
2: So we're thinking about refugee versus asylum seeker. A refugee is the legal status that has been granted to an asylum seeker.
0: Correct. There's at least one other way of using refugee, and that's what gets confusing mm. because a refugee is also, as you said at the top, a person who's fleeing persecution, war, conflicts.
2: Right. And this is where those subtleties come in between what's the legal status, the paperwork attached to someone's identity or label of refugee versus asylum seeker versus a displaced person. What's the term based on circumstance? And the definition we give for refugee definitely seems to rely on circumstance as a key part of the definition.
0: I'm originally, actually, I'm Ukrainian and from Donetsk myself. My homeland is occupied, and I'm actually considered as an internal displaced person and my family as well. That's the voice of Anna Baluka from an earlier conversation about synthetic media and resilience. The war in Ukraine has displaced millions within a country as well as other countries, primarily in Europe.
2: So, this distinction between what is a definition versus a status versus legal terms at its core is recognizing this human right and how does the human right show up, which is whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever it happens, we all have the right to seek safety from war, violence, and persecution. That right doesn't necessarily require the legal paperwork for it to be a right. And that seems to be where the nuance
0: lives. It's absolutely true. When you talk about the description and the term, one of the things that comes up for me is the personal responsibility, whether it's as citizens of humanity or just as someone in a host country, part of the significance of World Refugee Day is to remember the importance of welcoming newcomers into a community.
2: And that doesn't mean that that's someone who is a refugee, right? Whether that's just someone from a different part of your own country, there's some sort of cultural difference, or it is a, a migrant, or someone who is living temporarily in your community. That welcoming attitude is important. What we're focusing more on World Refugee Day is the distinction and the importance of understanding that so many refugees ultimately want to be home and that that distinction is an important understanding where they're coming from and the kind of perspective they have on being your neighbor, for example.
0: And also that they make the community stronger and more vibrant, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They bring with them their cultures and their unique experiences and their hope in 2020. 22. There's been tremendous focus on Ukraine, and that's completely valid. There's also renewed violence in other places with protracted crises like Ethiopia and Burkina Faso, Myanmar, Afghanistan, Democratic Republic of Congo. And it can be confusing to the general public at times because it's it's hard to track where the greatest... Need is, and you know, the fact is that the need is equal. (laughs) The need is equal. I'm sure, as you could speak to with your experience in places that erupt into violence, and unfortunately, really struggle to achieve stability.
2: Yeah, and I, you're making an important point on what is now considered a refugee crisis, a term that's been showing up more often in the media apparently since 2014, and there's lots of reasons for that, but that there are ongoing refugee crises in different parts of the world that continue to be active even mm-hmm. beyond maybe the inflection point that shows up on the news i think a good example of this is is definitely afghanistan that's only 9ish months in the past yet of course we're focused right now on a more recent crisis in ukraine but there is still so much work to be done with what's happening in afghanistan and all the various places you just mentioned. And that is where that idea of crisis, I think, has really sort of emerged in the last decade.
0: Agreed. And to quantify that, we just crossed the 100 million mark Mm -hmm. in terms of the record number of people considered refugees by UNHCR. And that is such an astronomical number Mm -hmm. to think that 100 million people have been forced to flee. (laughs) It's staggering. It is staggering. And unacceptable unacceptable that that's really what i want to say mm-hmm. but we all share a responsibility to protect people seeking safety and to ensure that international law is upheld and not violated so that's the importance of of teaching these terms as well or just talking about the terms and getting clear on the definitions because everyone has the right to asylum or to seek protection from violence or persecution in a country other than their own this isn't negotiable that's international law
2: absolutely that is Part of the focus of this World Refugee Day is just an opportunity to pause and take a moment to become more informed, for example, with the terms that help better understand when they get used in various news articles or other updates.
0: Very true. I mean, another confusing part of it is when countries block access to those seeking refuge. So during COVID-19, countries really proved that they could protect public health and protect people's right to have their asylum cases heard. That's just using sort of a positive example. But we've also seen when countries restrict access to their borders in the name of public health or anything else, and people are forced to make very difficult, dangerous journeys to seek safety.
2: Mm -hmm. This is somewhat tangential, but oftentimes in these crisis situations, there are subgroups of people who were already temporarily in that place that then become sort of this multi-layered whether refugee or migrant or whatever happens to be. And Ukraine has really highlighted the nature of that with things like the various exchange students and foreign students who are living in Ukraine who are just, you know, there for a temporary period of time and find themselves in a crisis where they aren't attached to Ukraine and therefore in a different category when it comes to understanding things like these terms we're talking about and the legal protections that come with them or just the social perception of who they are and where they belong. There, there's been a lot of important reporting done on this dynamic in particular that's come out of Ukraine and some of these other crises, even though it also exists.
0: I think you make a really interesting point about school and exchange students, but that kind of connects to something broader about our collective responsibility. And that is, we have a collective responsibility to ensure people have access to that refuge. And that, you know, when people are forced to flee... Whether they are a citizen of that country or not, they also need to be allowed to change location and to rebuild their life. And that means letting newcomers go to school and find work and go to the doctor or seek mental health services. Exactly. I think in addition to that, one thing that seems obvious and yet merit saying is that for people to be really successful at that, you know, to have access to go to school is one thing, but it also means allowing people to rebuild their lives free of discrimination because the discrimination can be an absolute obstacle to access, to successfully being able to engage and resettle or rebuild their lives in a new community.
2: Yeah. And that's where there's a lot of factors at play in, in scenarios like this. There's the legal definitions that we've talked about and the rights that come along with that. But that doesn't mean that people don't experience barriers to their legal rights, which is where discrimination and social acceptance come to play. And that is where our collective responsibility really manifests itself, because those are the things that we can tangibly have an impact on.
0: I think it's an important part of this podcast in particular, since our focus is on the conditions that create a thriving society. People being able to rebuild their lives and their networks is critical to a thriving society.
2: And that takes a perspective that we have on the podcast without necessarily explicitly saying it, which is not having a zero-sum mentality when it comes to a thriving society. A lot of times, the narrative in both the refugee conversation, the migrant conversation, just the moving of people's conversation can fall prey to a zero-sum mentality. And that's where we see the uglier side of people's relationship with those who are most vulnerable and in
0: need. That's such a good point about zero-sum because it also lends itself to all or nothing thinking. And that becomes a barrier to giving people the options that they need to make a determination about their life. That might mean the chance for them to return home when it's safe to do so. It might mean to integrate locally. It might mean to resettle in a third country. Whatever that is, options, (laughs) critical. The story we tell as Americans is in one way or another, when one person is being persecuted, one person is stuck in limbo, one person loses their rights, that affects everybody around them. I do everything as if I were that person. So if I am an immigrant crossing the border and my child is in a cage, I would want someone to be fighting like hell to help us. And so in everything I do, I put myself in the, what I want you to do for me. Would I want you to write the policy? Would I want you to come to my home? What would I want you to do for me if I was you? That was an excerpt from an earlier conversation we had with Jamia Jowers, president of the board of directors of the Chicago Refugee Coalition. One of the things that has shown up in my work a lot,
2: sort of accidentally, but I've had the opportunity to really get to know and tell the story of people who have very intentionally returned to their communities to rebuild them. And I think that those are such important leaders around the world recognizing the kind of power that they can have in supporting them, that their opportunity to come to say our country, for example, and develop skills that they can take back to their communities is the way that we can all sort of help impact the world. Those kinds of stories are so important for understanding this narrative at a broader scale, like what kind of impact it can have, especially if you get outside of the zero sum idea. Absolutely. Another concept I wanted to make sure that we mention is this growing term of climate refugees. And as we look at the future and the kind of changing landscape and the number that you mentioned, Joanne, of 100 million people around the globe under the status of, of refugee, it's really important to understand that part of what is shifting and going to have a really big impact on our future is people who are going to be experiencing what we're specifically considering climate refugees, which is those who have a need to move because of the changing landscape of their environment. And I didn't want to necessarily go too deep into this, but I just wanted to make sure it was part of the conversation because it's going to really impact these numbers and how we understand the term refugee in the future.
0: It fits in with what we were talking about earlier, which is that conditions also create certain barriers, which means... People might be forced to flee for one reason, for war, some form of conflict, persecution, but then that combines with these very difficult and dangerous journeys through extreme weather events.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think it's also important because it has the potential to affect people who haven't otherwise seen violence or War or these other circumstances that have defined refugee for the last century and start to get into other conflicts that will incite violence and war and things as well be connected. But extreme weather is going to be something that's going to force and change the way that we move around this globe or the places that are considered habitable.
0: It also makes me wonder about, this is more like government policy, country policy, where people are being forced back to a country where their life and freedom is at risk. Mm -hmm. And with climate change, I I can't imagine sending somebody back to a place that's burning, like literally on fire, Mm -hmm. or where people are starving because there isn't enough water. But this becomes very, very complicated in terms of one crisis melding into another, like we've seen in Afghanistan. And then that really gets back to the heart of the need to treat all human beings with dignity and respect.
2: Yeah, it kind of touches on an old concept. Consider the golden rule: Do unto others what you want to be done
0: unto you. Yeah, it it's a it's a human right. So it's not even about whether one person deserves or another person does not. That's just, that can be a slippery part of the argument, right? Of it's course, like people will decide who deserves and who doesn't. It's just a basic fundamental right to being alive. But it's complicated because it involves lots of world leaders, countries, cultures, and not everyone agrees on our responsibilities to one another. But that's why the convention of 1951, the Refugee Convention, is so important to talk about as well.
2: Which ultimately gets back to this idea of being able to have a conversation where we're using the terms in understandable ways is such a key part of having any kind of productive conversation. So we're here on the podcast, always interested in providing more clarity when it comes to the language and words that we use.
1: At the very outset of the U.S. withdrawal, we were working closely with the government of Qatar. We were able to basically help get some people evacuated on flights that would then go to Doha and then get people from Doha resettled elsewhere. In that process, we were able to help with the resettlement of at least 60 journalists and their families.
0: That was Carrie Patterson from an earlier conversation. Well, this is a bonus episode and
2: it relates to our overall themes and ideas of the podcast, its direct connection to journalism was something that you wanted to cover as well.
0: Absolutely. I was thinking a little bit about Carrie talking about the Tigray region and Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and that also being one of those examples of an area that is hard to access. It's very dangerous. But if there isn't a journalist there to tell the story, how do we know? Mm-hmm. How do we know what's happening? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think that's a good point. And we've seen in Ukraine, the tangible impact of journalism
0: and understanding what's going on in active situations. The same goes for Afghanistan during the U.S. evacuation. Those events leading up to the Taliban's takeover of Kabul were witnessed by people and were shared with the public by journalists, Mm -hmm. as well as social media. But the journalists could provide rich context into what was happening and when it
2: comes to people who could end up with this term, refugee and asylum seeker, journalists are increasingly high on that list, as we discussed with Gary. Of
0: persecuted individuals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. What's that? Yeah. Needing to flee violence. On a more personal level, journalists are in a role of witnessing, mm-hmm. they're bearing witness to what's happening in extremely dangerous situations. Carrie covers the globe in her emergency response, but she also mentioned how things are changing in Mexico. It's become one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a journalist.
2: Yeah. These are interconnected things, oftentimes harbingers of what's to come, too. Seeing what's happening to
0: journalists will give us a sense of where a conflict or situation may be headed. My experience with the Afghan evacuation, Mm -hmm. the American evacuation, and this whole group of people, the refugee is a person and they're subject matter experts on their own lived experience. Going back to that connection with journalists is our responsibility to, to hear those voices. Hearing it in someone's own words is meaningful. Allow people to control their own narrative.
2: And that it can be broad and nuanced and different. Then no single person has the same experience.
0: Right. And, and we can all work together to create this complex, nuanced, complete story that will drive real systemic change.
2: Yeah. Well said.
0: Thanks for joining us. I'm Joanne. And I'm Sarah. Join us for the next episode.